This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome to a very special wow. episode. <laughs> that sounded very uh, NPR. Well, I don't want to be NPR. I was looking, doing more for the very, 80s very special episode on a comedy where it really wasn't special. Is it a, right. It's, I didn't think it was a very special episode. <laughs> no, it's not a very special episode. But I, I titled tonight's episode The Oracle Speaks. <laughs> and we're not talking about James Comey, although we could be. Right. Um, the other Oracle. And if you read the Babylon Bee today, the headline was... This person spoke and then was immediately taken up into heaven. <laughs> and Tony, I know it's going to surprise some people, but Tony has a reaction to yes. Robert Mueller. Well, it, no, remember, it's Mueller. We're oh, pronouncing sorry, Mueller. It, it is Herr Mueller. <laughs> we're going to go straight German with it. So, Tony, you're, we're not going to talk for nine and a half minutes. Yeah, no questions. I have the clip if, we, if you're really no. that bored. But Tony wants to read certain sections and then yes. get some reactions. So. So, so as you know, that was the, the, the prelude to this was Robert Mueller uh, came, came down from Olympus and addressed the media. He assembled throngs for nine minutes. Um, not clear what exactly the purpose was. We'll, we'll get into some of that. But essentially provided them with some of his concluding talking points. Nuance. He wanted, he wanted the nuance, nuance around. Right. Uh, and so what I want to do is I'm going to read certain parts of this incredibly <laughs> annoying, craven speech that he gave. And I'm going to ask Chad what his reaction is, and I'm going to provide you with some of my thoughts. So, I may or may not be right. Tony will know if I'm right or not. All right. So the first part of this, he starts off with his introduction, and he, he then reminds everyone, and, and this is interesting. I want Chad's reaction to this. He <laughs> says he's talking about his appointment and the order of, of what he was tasked. He and his team of legal illuminaries, his fact-finding, highly neutral, nonpartisan group of sleuths, and he says, quote, the appointment order directed the office, that's his office, to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. This included investigating, now listen, any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Close quote. Now let me stop there. Does anything jump out at you about the scope of his investigation and what perhaps wasn't investigated that would fall within the ambit of Herr Mueller's um, appointment? Let me read that section again. Sure. This included investigating any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals. Mm-hmm. So what's your reaction to that? What comes to mind when well, you hear there's that? There's a couple things coming, Ryan, for me. It's one – I don't know that it was he was investigating Russian collusion. Oh, I'm sorry, Russian interference. That was the premise of the entire thing. He expanded it to look at Trump, but is, I think what you're looking at for is there was nothing about her. Ah, Her Hillary. Chad has Chad has <laughs> latched onto what I would consider to be I don't know one of the first questions that I might have asked Mr. Mueller. What uh, he deigned to allow questions from his adoring <laughs> fans, which is um. Excuse me. Question. Uh, now, as I understand it, and it's undisputed, first of all, the first part of your 448-page magnum opus uh, concluded 
there was no collusion, no collusion between any member of the Trump campaign, indeed any American, between them and Russia. However, my question is, since you were tasked with investigating any links, we now know that one of the other campaigns, I think there's only two of them. Two major ones, yes. Right, had paid money. Um, actually, what they did is they, how clever of them, they, they funneled it to a law firm so they could call it legal expenses. And that law firm retained an outfit called Fusion GPS, which was headed up by a guy named Glenn Simpson, who is a, uh, a slavish, frothing Democrat, who then retained uh, the notable Christopher Steele, he formerly of MI6, who then, and this is the important part, follow with me, Mr. Mueller, who then admittedly got information from members of the Russian government mm -hmm. who were mm -hmm. close to dun 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 Vladimir Putin mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. provided this information that made its way into a dossier which then justified a FISA warrant etc cetera, etc cetera. and my question is wouldn't that actually be a definitive fact that we had a campaign just not the one you were looking at who <laughs> hired that is paid money to Russians in fact high-ranking Russians within the government to provide information to take down or at least damage, destroy, undermine the opposing campaign. Why was that not investigated as part well, of your grand inquisition? Only had to do with Trump. You heard I, it was only about I Trump. I see. I see. Even though that but, wasn't but, part but of the I, original. But, but if I could follow up, Mr. Mueller, I recall <laughs> that one of the things that you or one of your Weissmen, one of your minions said is that you were given broad discretion to pursue, I believe, any related criminal conduct that would have been disclosed as part of your larger probe. Yes. So, again, my question is. How is it that we didn't look at all into... Well, I think I can speak. I'm, I'm channeling yes, please Bobby channel, right now. Yes, please channel Andrew Weissman, whoever you would like. No, I'm going to channel Bobby. I was really looking for a way to bring down the Trump ah, administration. Yes. I think that's where you're, mis you're I, misunderstanding. You're right. I'm not looking for an actual crime unless it relates to the Trump administration and the Trump parties. Because Hillary didn't win. And while... I was appointed by a Republican and technically probably am a Republican. I really don't like Trump, so therefore I'm here just to get rid of Trump. That's all we're looking at. So, yeah, wide-ranging as long as I stayed on the Trump side. Right. Uh, you know it. what? And I am sorry because I had assumed a good-faith basis uh, to conduct a nonpartisan investigation yeah. about any crimes. And you, thankfully you have well, answered. you heard special, special prosecutor and you thought that meant independent looking at all things right special is in i'm their best buddy i'm special to the democrat right. party uh, that's a good answer okay so. so next part of the of the speech next paragraph this is just interesting he says quote i am speaking out today because our investigation is complete close quote <laughs> um non sequitur what your investigation is complete now again I, I need to understand the role of a prosecutor, and I actually think there are a number of rules of professional conduct and ethics. When a prosecutor has completed an investigation and is not charging anyone with a crime, I'm not sure that means there's a reason to speak. Can you explain well, how that – your investigation is over. You should just go away now, right? Why are we speaking at all? Technically, my investigation ended back in March. 
you probably forgot that because I returned my report to the attorney yes. general. I'm speaking now here at the end of May because I needed more retirement credits. I needed to work a couple more weeks to get the retirement credits. Now, the reason my job didn't end then and I'm speaking now is because I don't feel that William Barr really portrayed what I was trying to get across. <laughs> he really didn't point the finger of fate at Trump and all his associates. So I had to come up here and do this. Now, I'm not going to take questions. Right. Questions would open me up to cross questions, and we're not about well, that. Well, then again, I'm that here to point fingers. There actually wouldn't be any cross questions. Don't delude yourself. No one in the media. There, a blogger could have gotten in. That's we don't true. know. We That's don't true. know. With the Justice Department, it's not as rigorous as the White House. I just had to get stuff out here. I had to unload this so that I can move on. And that with my is life. the correct answer once again, which is listen. Uh, in fact, if 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 the audience remembers, Mueller's main complaint when Barr released his four-page summary, none of which was inaccurate uh, and none of which was challenged, but he said the media is not emphasizing the right parts. <laughs> you see, they need instead of them emphasizing the fact that this entire Russia hoax has been blown to smithereens. What they need to be focusing on is the second part. I wrote it very carefully and larded it up with all kinds of innuendo and embarrassing stuff about the president so that you can talk about obstruction and eventually lead to impeachment. And you did it wrong. You didn't play it up. So I need to come out here now against all normal rules governing prosecutorial behavior in a case where nothing has been charged and connect those dots for you one final time. Every word meant something. That's right. why I put them there. So read them. We get it. Now, the other thing I loved is he says, um, quote, beyond these few remarks, uh, it is important that the office's written work speak for itself. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the mm -hmm. thing. If it speaks for itself, and by the way, pretty much 99.79% of your entire report has been released for public dissemination and dissection and review, so we can all allow it. You really shouldn't be speaking at all, should you? Well, no. there's, there's those seven sentences that have been redacted, right. and I think those seven sentences speak volumes because every word was written with a purpose. I don't know why you are now speaking. The document is supposedly speaking, but you feel compelled to speak additionally. Well, you really yeah. probably shouldn't have used that turn of phrase. All right. <laughs> now, um, I want to get to the part which I love, which is the most Orwellian part of this. Oh, yes. I like this part. This is where Mueller is talking about. Uh, by the way, Chad, was there any question in your mind even before Robert and his team galloped into D.C. on their white steeds that Russia had attempted to interfere in our election? Uh, no. And in fact, is there any question that this is something that they do routinely and have done pretty much every time we have an election? Uh, they, the DNC hired Christopher Steele, or Hillary did so. I think we already knew that because uh, they paid them. I mean, don't so, we yeah. assume, though, that China... And Russia, I assume like, China, North a, Korea, Iran, Iraq. Was this a revelation that they had been? And by the way, I actually think don't tell anyone that our government also sort of does this kind of stuff well, on sure. the sly. Sure, we do. So Robert Mueller's, you know, uh, we. It's important to emphasize that we have discovered uh, the fact that Russia was in fact attempt. No. Well, they what they discovered some other things. They discovered that water is wet. Yeah. And uh, when you put your hand in the oven and it's on, it gets burnt. 
Right. And by the way, by the way, we're not going to we're not going to spend any time contesting this because I think clearly this is what Russia tries to do, as do all of our geopolitical enemies. Although I I just hesitate to point out if we're going to be persnickety about this, that this conclusion about Russian hacking, um, even though I'm willing to take it at face value, because I assume this is how Russia behaves. They never actually uh, examined the DNC server. Or their computers. Mm. Now, just again, call me a novice in this area, but that would strike me as one of the elements of physical evidence that you would probably want to look at instead of relying on a third party contractor who said, listen, just take our word for it. It was the Russians. But see, if if you looked at the DNC server or John Podesta's email or Hillary's server and email, you might have found facts that would contradict the story we're trying to tell. Right. So we don't see, want facts see, in again, the way. As a lawyer, this is just one of those pesky facts that I think about in terms of if I was going to cross-examine mm. the guy on the stand who claimed, obviously, Russia hacked the DNC. And one of my first questions might have been, did you, in fact, examine the DNC? No. Com- no. no. Um, did anyone- Didn't have time. Oh, okay, right. So <laughs> does that establish then beyond a reasonable doubt that they did? And never, in, every, in any event, I don't care. Let's assume for the sake of argument that they did. But this is – I love what he says. So he talks about the fact that they indicted a whole bunch of goateed Russian nationals mm-hmm. and Russian corporations who engaged in this sort of thing. And note what he says. He says um, at the same time, quote – The grand jury alleged in a separate indictment a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation. This is the Facebook thing, right? Sure, sure. He goes on and says about the allegations, uh, oh, and we are not commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. (laughs) Quote, every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty, close quote. Now, I want you to hold on to that phrase, presumed innocent, because we're going to get to the part where he seems to get confused about whether that applies to Donald Trump. It does But one other interesting fact I wanted to point out, which is sort of hilarious, all of these, um, these tremendously detailed indictments of these foreign nationals and these Russian corporations, um, are they ever going to actually wind up uh, in a trial, a criminal no. prosecution no. in this country? Well, here's why. We indicted a bunch of Russian names. We don't even know if they exist. We don't even know if they're real people. We went through a Russian English dictionary and just came up with names, a phone book, if you like. A phone book of Russian names, and that's what we indicted because we really don't know who these people are. Well, even better. Even if they exist. This this is perhaps my favorite tidbit about Robert Mueller's uh, indictment. One of the Russian companies – and by the way, I'm not taking a position that they didn't do any of this. They probably did everything that was indicted. But here's the point. You're a prosecutor. I don't think it's your job, although he seems to think it is, to basically generate what I'll call a sham indictment that he knows has absolutely no purpose whatsoever. It will never result in a conviction. It's simply media fodder. But this is my favorite part of this. In one of those indictments – One of these Russian companies actually has American lawyers, and those lawyers decided, hey, you know what? We're actually going to go to court and demand that Robert Mueller put up or shut up. In other words, let's see the evidence because we'd like to have our day in court. And do you know what Robert Mueller and his team said? And this I can guarantee you as someone who 
I don't do criminal work, but I, I know how this works. This is probably the first time in the history of Western civilization that a prosecutor has ever said this. You know what Robert Mueller's response was to the defendant, the criminal defendant saying, hey, guess what? We're ready to proceed. Provide us with all of your evidence of my client's criminal activity. You know what Robert Mueller and his team said? Um, well, you know what? We would love to, but we don't actually think that the defendant was properly served. <laughs> wow. Now, you need to understand this. In cases, whether you're a civil lawyer or a criminal lawyer, service means that the court has jur- personal jurisdiction over you. Meaning, if you haven't been served with the complaint or the indictment, the court has no power, has no authority to actually adjudicate the dispute over you. So who are the parties that always raise lack of service? It's the defendants. Mm-hmm. The defendants always say, I haven't been served. Therefore, I can't respond. And I don't have to respond. In this case, the defendant said, we would like to go forward. Please present your evidence. And the prosecutor The guy that's up here talking about how we had all these indictments then said, oh, no, no. Actually, we think that our service might have been defective. So let's not. Let's not proceed. That's the most absurd thing I have ever heard. And what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates they had – well, either they had nothing or they were not inclined – to share publicly what they allegedly had because, again, this was all a show. This was a sham indictment. It wasn't supposed to result in any convictions. I guess my question for Mr. Mueller would be, is that really your job? Is that an accomplishment? If you're looking at the number of indictments, I had a lot, so I would be called the special indicter, not the special prosecutor because it didn't actually prosecute anything. But go ahead. All right. Now, so this is – now we're getting to the best part of this tedious – uh, grandstanding because th- and actually when I say the best part I mean really the most obscene part of this and we'll discuss why <laughs> he says he's talking about the investigation and he says in, in previous paragraphs they had two components the first was the Russia collusion investigation the scam the hoax the fantasy. volume one volume one the fantasy uh, <laughs> which uh, sadly over many tears it cruelly dashed the hopes of all of the you know the hive mind anti-trumpists that no nothing zero no evidence the second part is obstruction and note then what he says about obstruction volume two <laughs> quote as set forth in the report after that investigation now listen carefully to this If we had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. (laughs) We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. Close quote. Chad, can you tell me, without your head fragmenting, exploding, all of the reasons that that is one of the most ridiculous and contrary to a free and open government and the rule of law statement that you have ever heard. What is wrong with that formulation? So you're saying I didn't find anything to say he did something wrong, but I'm not going to say that because I don't really like the results. So I have to say I, I would have said he didn't do something wrong. But he didn't do anything wrong because I didn't 
recommend charges. In our system of jurisprudence. You're innocent until proven guilty. That would seem to be the default position. And so let me read again this because it is just so amazing. If we had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime. Stop. Let's stop right there. Hold on, Mr. Mueller. Again, uh, from back row. Yes, I have my hand up here. <laughs> I'm with uh, Breitbart, whatever. Um, I'm confused because, see, I thought, and maybe I slept all through civics and criminal procedure, I thought that what a prosecutor is supposed to do is determine whether there are any facts sufficient to prove a crime. Yes, Yes. Am, am I am I am I correct nope, so nope. far? You're, that's how our system works. Yes. But you seem to be saying that you decided it was your job to look for evidence that the president did not commit a crime. So let me formulate this another sure, way. Sure. If I'm prosecuting Chad, I would say um, we could not find any evidence that Chad did not beat his wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also, sadly. Could not find any evidence that Chad did not kill Jean Benet Ramsey. We yes. also yes. did not find any evidence that Chad is not an alien pod person who is here to steal our water supply. Is this how this works, Chad? No, no. And, and you forgot the Kennedy assassination. I could not be proven to have done that either. You bring up a very good point, and I, I understand where you're going, Tony. And th- I think th- that's this fair. Is, this is amazing to me. But I was really – you forget my original premise. Find something on Trump. I was going into it with the fact that I assumed he did it. I just couldn't find the smoking gun. This innocent until proven guilty, that only applies if you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican in Congress here, we're really trying to find what you did because we knew you did something. We know you did this- something. See, you couldn't have won otherwise. We're having some fun with this, but I think this is fundamentally mm-hmm. um, you have a man who spent two years, right, investigating the president of the United States as a prosecutor, and he has literally flipped the burden of proof on its head such that all he needed to say was. We do not have any evidence that a crime was committed the end. And instead, because that's not his job, as he saw it, as you pointed out, he's now decided that, no, 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 what the defendant actually has to do and what we're going to do is is we're going to have him prove a negative. Prove that you did not commit a crime. It's the English system versus the American system. And I think it's very important to understand something here. And we'll go off script a little bit. If he, if this can be done to the president, now that's a big deal. What's to stop the government from doing this to anyone nothing. else ever? Which is ever no nothing. And this is one of the things that the ardent Trump haters, which they don't care, but they just they don't seem to realize that when the shoe is on the other foot. You're going to be the person who's going to have to prove that you didn't beat your wife. Yeah. See, they like it now because the bad orange man is in the crosshairs. But this also demonstrates the utter disgrace of our media. Is there a single reporter in captivity who doesn't work for Fox who would have raised their hand if questions had been allowed? Or let's say this, an editorialist working for any of the major, reputable, authoritative newspapers in this country 
who would have written a think piece that says, geez, there's just something about that that doesn't strike me as being correct. Mm -hmm. Why is a prosecutor saying we didn't find evidence that there was no crime? What? Well, that's why you had how many prosecutors sign on to say we would have charged him. William Barr, you're wrong. We would have charged him. We've pointed this out before. This is how things work in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. This is how things work in East Germany. This is how things work in totalitarian systems where show me the man, I'll find you the crime. It is unbelievable that he stand. It's not unbelievable because we've already seen this, that he's going to stand up there and say, well, what my job is, uh, it's not just to shut up after we have no evidence and close up shop and go home. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It's to continue writing 400 pages of nonsense of everything I can think of that says, well, we can't prove it, but. This might be a crime. Yeah, you should might read, it closely. We, read it closely. We, that's, why, that's why we made the statement, we do not exonerate him. Again, Robert, <laughs> in what world is a prosecutor tasked with exonerating people? That His world. Here's newsflash. Not your job, buddy. Yeah. Your job was to see whether there's any evidence that a crime was committed. And since you clearly concluded no, mm -hmm. your job is done. Well, I think you read a little further there because I, I think that – Next section is pretty important to his thought process. Oh, yes. So and I'm not going to I'm not going to bore with any more of this reading. But what he goes on to say. Right. So he goes on to say, if you remember, volume two, which he's playing up is the obstruction component. And what he says is basically, well, we were aware when we started that Department of Justice guidelines do not allow for the indictment of a sitting president. And so therefore, because we are very scrupulous lawyers and committed to the rule of law, vomit, vomit, um, we couldn't actually do anything, which is the reason we chose not to do or to bring any charges because we're constrained. And then, of course, he's at great pains to point out, but, but, and Jerry, are you listening? Maxine, are you listening? Yeah. Congress, Congress can do something. And by that, I mean, you need to get the scrolls of impeachment rolling here, people. But yeah. here's the point. I want to respond to this nonsense. Okay, so he's saying essentially, listen, our hands were tied. We're not allowed to indict a sitting president, so we weren't allowed to reach any conclusions. Wrong. First of all, those are two separate things. He could have very easily, and in fact, if you're telling me that his team of bloodhounds and his rabid Trump haters would not have written, here's what he could have written. We found sufficient evidence to charge the president of the United States with obstruction on four or five or six or 10 or 11 billion different things. And here are the facts. And here's the applicable law, and here's why it constitutes obstruction of justice. Next sentence. However, because this office is precluded from indicting a sitting president, we cannot, rep we cannot recommend any criminal prosecution or indictment. We will leave those determinations up to Congress. He could have very easily said exactly that. He didn't. Why? Because they any. had no evidence yep. whatsoever. Yep. Instead, he throws up a bunch of mud, right? That's mm -hmm. the idea. Just spray the mud and then let Congress do its dirty work. Mm -hmm. it's, it is an unbelievably hypocritical, partisan, disgraceful performance by this dude. And if anyone is still inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt, why? you're nuts. Yeah, why? There's no he, reason to he, he is demonstrating he's just as bad as Comey. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all they're, the same. They're, they're buddies. I mean, 
it doesn't seem shocking that they would act the same way, does it? And let's remember, let's again unpack this. Tony, you're you're just being a you're just being a slavish Trump defender. He is. Think about think about what he is saying. If you believe as a prosecutor that the evidence that he has laid out in this report might be sufficient to prove obstruction in a criminal matter, that means you have to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay? One of the elements, one of the key elements is going to be essentially evil motive, criminal intent. Now, mm-hmm. let's think about this. What is it, what crime is it that Donald Trump would, according to this theory, be obstructing, Chad? I don't know that he's obstructing anything. No, but under this theory, for it to work, he would have to be attempting to obstruct an investigation into what? His collusion with the Russians. His non-existent, because we already read volume one, sadly, you couldn't hide that part. No evidence of collusion. So you're now going to claim that beyond a reasonable doubt, you can prove obstruction of an investigation into a crime that doesn't exist, that never existed, for which there is no evidence. How does that work? Well, here's how it works. It's easy. You come to me and say, I want to interview you on anything because I think a crime has been committed. And you say to yourself, well, I don't really want to answer your questions because if you're looking hard enough, you might find something or charge me with something. So I don't want to talk. So I go out of my way to not talk to you. And then you say, well, you're obstructing the investigation. Well, I don't think – doesn't the defendant have a right to not incriminate themselves? Sure. So why would they give away anything they have to – whether it's crime or not. But if somebody comes to me and said, well, just talk to us because literally the police can lie to you, but you can't lie to them. Seems like a double standard, but that's what they can do. How can a prosecutor do the same thing? They did it with Flynn. They lied to Flynn and caught him in a recording that he didn't know about because actually, they lied even, to him. Well, and actually, we've talked about this. They didn't even catch Flynn in a recording. Okay. They're, they're, they, they prosecuted him and indicted him based on a 302 from an FBI there agent that we don't even have a transcript for. But nevertheless, getting back to this idea about Trump, now what – what Weissman and Mueller's theory on obstruction is, which is entirely unsupported, is essentially the idea that the president can undertake entirely lawful acts within his constitutional and statutory authority, but if he's thinking bad thoughts while he does them. In other words, he could fire James Comey for any reason at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. any day of the week, mm-hmm. but if he fired him because he doesn't want him to investigate Again, a crime that doesn't exist, that's sufficient to establish obstruction. That is, in my view and in the view of the attorney general and Rosenstein, a complete misreading of the law. But nevertheless, that was the theory under which Mueller was attempting to operate. But here's the larger point. Because you have to prove as an element of any prosecution like that, even using that outlandish theory, an evil motive, the point is, and this is something that Barr points out in his memo, That means you have to exclude any and all other possible reasons Mm -hmm. why someone would, quote unquote, obstruct an investigation, such as I'm an innocent man who happens to be the president and I'm outraged by this circus that has gone on for two years impeding my administration. And so I'm fed up and angry that I'm being falsely accused. Gee, That's one possible motivation. Now, you may say, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. If you're going to convict, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that couldn't possibly have been what was motivating Donald Trump. And by the way, since there was no underlying crime, seems pretty plausible that might be his motivation. 
So everything that Mueller says about obstruction is complete and utter garbage. Well, I agree with what you're saying, and you, I don't think you can obstruct something that didn't happen. I can't obstruct you from you driving your car if I never kept you from getting in your car. So it doesn't work that way. Uh, my question becomes, Carter Page was the impetus of this whole thing. Carter Page, no charges of any kind whatsoever. So how does that work where he's the guy you think is the key and nothing happens with him? He's not – nothing happens with him. I, I don't know how you had a reasonable – four times had a reasonable suspicion sure. that this guy was the key to breaking this thing or Cohen or Papadopoulos or Flynn. Well, and that's what – None that's of what's, it. That is what Barr is currently investigating. Now, I have a question for you. So – you know, Rosenstein ended up bringing in Mueller because he had to because Sessions had to recuse himself. What ha- what would have happened had Sessions recused himself? Trump says, "You're out of here, Jeff. Nice doing business with you, but you're not making it work." Barr comes in a year and a half ago, and then he says to Barr, "Fire Mueller because he's dead weight and he's taking this direction that's not supposed to go." Rosenstein never should have given that direction, make it very specific and clear, because I want to know if there's a Russian collusion going on somewhere, and we investigate Hillary, and Barr hires somebody else. Is is Trump sitting in the same situation with the House, where they're still trying to investigate oh, him, still trying to impeach him? Look, so why not do that? We, we talked about it before. Firing Mueller, he legally could do, but politically might have right. hurt him. Would it have hurt him more? Yes, uh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, there's nothing that he could have done that would prevent this result. I mean, these people are still, these people are still talking about Russian collusion. I mean, in other words, th- this is the, this is the conspirators mindset, conspiratorial mindset, which is, it doesn't matter what evidence you present me with. Correct. It doesn't matter how much reality is smacking me in the head. I'm committed to my alternate universe. Okay. And n- there's no fact, there's no evidence that's going to move me off of that. What, one final point too, about, which is sort of ironic. So in my view, wrapping all this up, there was absolutely – not only was there no purpose for this little speech that he gave. Well, we know what his purpose was. Sure. There's no legitimate purpose. It was, it was actually an illegitimate and, in my view, unethical thing to do. Um, he's clearly – the whole goal here is to telegraph to his fellow travelers, right, the Democratic Party, the people that want to get Trump, the never-Trumpers, listen, if I didn't make it clear enough in volume two – because Rachel, despite her best efforts, did not get the message out. <laughs> you guys need to impeach him, and you have every ability to do it. Got it? Right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of the, what's the water boy? You can do it, Jerry. <laughs> you can do it, Jerry. Maxine, you can do it. But here's the uh, irony of this. He's putting, and I think actually Andy McCarthy may have made this point in an article. He is now putting... See, because the game the Democrats want to play is, at least the ones that are sane, so that's like, I don't know, like 12% of the current Congress, they understand that it is politically unpopular now that the Mueller report, the, the reason for its existence has completely exploded. It's the idea that the, the public doesn't want Trump impeached. So their difficulty is they've spent two years, you know, ratcheting up. The, the the hyperventilation and Russia, Russia, or the Red Menace, and the base is now expecting this. And now, of course, they're deflated. They're angry. There's nothing there. So on the one hand, they have to keep talking about this stuff 
in the run-up to the election, keep the base energized, keep them angry. On the other hand, they don't really want to follow through on this because they know if that's what they pursue for the next year and a half, it's political poison for them. Mm-hmm. So they want to do this straddle, keep it in the media, keep talking about it, you know, keep showing charts and graphs about Putin connected to you know, Donald Trump's retirement home or whatever, but never actually pull the trigger. But here's the problem. Mueller is now putting them in a position where, because you're going to hear, just wait, just mm-hmm. wait. Mm-hmm. The next week, the editorials, the 24-7, the talking heads, Robert Mueller has laid it out. There is literally no, there's no justification for an American member of Congress not to impeach this president. So now he's forcing the hand of some of these Democrats who won in sort of purple states, right? Mm-hmm. The mo- the so-called moderates that they don't want any part of this in the run-up to a re-election because it's not popular. It's going to get them kicked out of office. And what Mueller has just done is basically say on a platter, you have to do this. I double dare you not to impeach the president. So he, I, I say it's ironic mm-hmm. because he clearly wants that result. But that is a very bad political result for most Democrats who are not off the deep end with, you know, the Adam Schiff's of the world who are just complete Looney Tunes. So I got a couple questions. One, why didn't William Barr, once he got the report from Mueller, they went over it. They they redacted whatever he was supposed to help him redact, which he apparently didn't do. Mueller, your office is done that day. It, why did we extend it for as long as we did? One. Two, Mueller had his press conference at the Department of Justice. Why didn't you say, no, you're not having a press conference here where you can go to your sycophants. You want a press conference, you do it somewhere else, but it ain't going to be here. And three, why isn't Adam Schiff in jail? And and here's why I asked this. Because Adam Schiff said, I have proof there was collusion with the Trump administration with the Russians. Well, he's not the only one. I know, but he was very vociferous. Well, Brennan said the same thing. Show me the proof you said you had. You had nothing. You are a liar. You should not be still in office. You should have been impeached well, yourself. But remember, though, I mean, it's, you're allowed to lie. I mean, it's clear he's apparently, a liar. Apparently. Well, no, I mean, listen, Adam Schiff can come, come out in public and spew whatever nonsense he wants to. I, I don't think it's a basis for throwing him in jail. It is potentially a basis for throwing someone like Brennan and Clapper in jail because they provided sworn testimony to Congress. So I don't so they, care. Swore, they, they lied to the liars. Right. Brennan, <laughs> Brennan already admitted lying about the, the NSA surveillance. I mean, so I don't think Adam Schiff should be in jail because he's an inveterate liar because you're allowed to come on CNN and spew. That's what they do all day long. Um, but no, they're complete. What I think Adam Schiff potentially and many others should be investigated for is is leaking classified information. All of these leaks are all yeah. potential felonies. Yeah. All of this stuff. Not potential. If you leaked it, it's a felony. It's not a potential felony. This is wrong. I, I, I am. You say the public doesn't want an impeachment. I don't think the public wanted an impeachment for the last two and a half years. They wanted the truth. Because no, but, we're told but it's, we clear, we but it's clear because the media did their job that the public was at least following along on all of this Russia insanity. Right. So you're saying after all this comes out, Mueller's given the red carpet. He's still got the 400-page report. It doesn't say the president did anything but remember, wrong. But remember, the, the wiggle room, which, which Mueller also kind of slyly insinuated is, we've talked about this. 
the standard high crimes and misdemeanors is not a legal standard. Correct. There's not a requirement for Correct. a crime. So that's why he larded up volume two with every unflattering thing, every outburst, every comment that could be spun by someone who is, you know, basically spent is obsessed with getting Trump to say that rises to the level of an impeachable offense because there's no definition. It's a political mm -hmm. remedy. But you remember. They won. Maxine Waters was calling for impeachment before he was inaugurated. Of course, he couldn't have committed a high crime or misdemeanor until he was came president to be impeached. You you can't be impeached unless you're actually in office. So th this is actually going to be very fascinating to watch unfold over the next, let's say, month or two months. Is are the Democrats going to drive over the cliff? Yes, they will. I think they are. They will. I think they are. They can't help themselves. The, the whatever cooler heads. Uh, saner people that remain in the party. Again, I, I, I don't. I, I can count it on one hand. Basically, I think they're going to be overridden, and they're going to be sort of forced into doing this. And even though number one, it's bad for the country. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, if you really want to entertain yourself, listen to people like Jerry Nadler talking about the impeachment of Bill Clinton, and then contrast those statements. Believe me, he wasn't all that fond of the idea. No. With what they're saying close. now, but so it's bad for the country because it's completely illegitimate. But nevertheless, as a purely cynical political calculation, I think Donald Trump welcomes this. He doesn't. No president wants to be impeached. But in terms of his chances to be reelected, if they do this, it's increasing them exponentially yeah. because they're doing it now with nothing Every there's a reason why CNN's ratings and MSNBC's ratings have literally gone into the toilet mm -hmm. once the Mueller report was released, because guess what? Everyone saw the Russian collusion fantasy is exactly that. It's a hallucination. It's a delusion. It's a political dirty trick. In fact, the, the likely explanation is it was literally, despite <laughs> Inspector Clouseau couldn't find it, a disinformation campaign mm -hmm. provided by the Russian government. You want to talk about affecting an election? You had a political campaign, the candidate for president, who paid for Russian disinformation in an attempt to destroy her opponent. That seems to fit the definition. That's We're not interested. Sure. We're yeah. not interested. So I think they're going to be driven to do this. And I think it's going to boomerang on them in a major way. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. How many cans they have now? 24, 25? Mm -hmm. Now we're not going to be talking about any of them. It's going to be impeachment mania. You know, yeah. CNN. It'll probably goose the ratings again. Clearly, CNN. Rachel, you know, like a pig in slop. She'll be out there 24-7 talking <laughs> about this. And remember, what's the end game? He's never going to be removed. No. You need a supermajority in the Senate. It's going nowhere. Yeah, 67 senators are not voting to impeach. So he's – it's going nowhere, but they're going to spend, I think, the next year attempting to do this. So but, it makes – and I say this with tongue-in-cheek fully uh, – makes me miss the days of Henry Waxman and Barney Frank. I know that's going back a little bit for some people, but they seem to be a little more reasonable. They were crooks, but they seem at least a little more reasonable about all this. This is totally out there. Now, you, you talked about – the presidential candidates. I just got to throw this aside. Kamala Harris came out this week trying to outdo every other lunatic that's running for Democratic Party. Uh, she said that states that have shown any bias against Roe versus Wade in the last 25 years under her administration will be required by the Justice Department to get pre-approval for any 
law changes to abortion in their states, which two things happen. <laughs> One, she's modeling it after the voting rights of 1965, which the Supreme Court overturned because it was unconstitutional. Uh, and secondly, what a usurpation of your rights. Just think about that. Before a state, if you've read the, read the Constitution, and we have, if you read the Constitution, the Constitution clearly says all things or all rights not enumerated for the federal government are automatically the state's rights. And suddenly – That's very antiquated. Well, it might be very antiquated, but it's still the Constitution. I'm feeling like she should just come out and say, you know what? We've looked at the Bill of Rights, and we don't feel it applies any longer. So we're just going to get rid of that. And anything else we don't like in the Constitution, we're just going to get rid of that. She's trying to tell you that it's okay for the federal government to tell a state if they can pass a law. Not pass the law, get a court case, go to the Supreme Court to see if it's constitutional. They're just going to bypass all that and go straight to, we don't approve that, so you can't pass that law. Are you insane? Well, are, are you insane? Well, no, no, wait a minute. But it's not a question of being insane. This highlights... The, the divide here, and it's, it is apparent in the jurisprudence of people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's apparent in both the public intellectuals who, who talk about these things, who are leftist or progressives. They're not, they do not feel at all constrained by the Constitution. The Correct. Constitution is a document that has absolutely no meaning to them other than as a political prop when they find it useful to quote it. But in their view, all of these decisions okay, about guns, about free speech, it's just a tug of war. It's about raw political power. All it is is a policy decision. And once they are in power, they are allowed to implement whatever they think is best. That's how the axis of the four liberal justices behave in terms of how they view the Constitution, even though they, you know, they reverse engineer everything. It is purely a question of preferred evolved policy for these people. Mm -hmm. And all they care about is when I have the power to implement this constitution, why should that be a constraint on us? It's not, it's not. I want to read something. This is from Clarence Thomas versus Justice Ginsburg uh, about the Indiana decision. I think it was yesterday. Um, in state of Indiana passed an abortion amendment, I guess that, Fetal remains must be cremated, and it went to the Supreme Court. Seventh Circuit saw it and said, "No, you don't have. To, you can't force that to happen." Went to Supreme Court. They put out an opinion that didn't really have anybody sign, and it kind of upheld that one portion. Another portion was not. But this is Clarence Thomas's response to Justice Ginsburg. He said, "Justice Ginsburg's dissent from this holding makes little sense. Justice Ginsburg does not even attempt to argue that the decision below was correct." Instead, she adopts the Seventh Circuit Chief Justice Wood's alternative suggestion that regulating dispo disposition of an aborted child's body might impose, quote, an undue burden on the mother's right to abort that already aborted child. This argument is difficult to understand, to say the least, which may explain why even respondent Planned Parenthood did not make it. So it puts an undue burden on the mother to have the body the remains cremated right. because you've the already next, aborted the baby. The next time that someone tells you wow. that... The Democratic Party is not beyond radical on the issue of abortion. <laughs> Reread that – I hesitate to call it analysis by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Let's repeat. <laughs> what she is saying is that even a law 
that permits disposal of a dead baby, that's the fetal remains, is illegitimate in the context of abortion, the right to abortion, because disposing of that already dead baby might somehow, what was the phrase? Unduly burden mm-hmm. a woman's right to have an abortion. Yes. Okay. Now, so when <laughs> next time you hear someone say it's the religious right, you're, you're uh, you're engaging in hyperbole. You're exaggerating. There's no reasonable person that thinks these things. Nobody believes that unrestricted abortion on the. Just go ahead and rely on the favored justice of the Supreme Court, <laughs> who has just told you that the holy sacrament of abortion must be protected, even at the cost of saying. An already murdered baby can't be disposed of because it might undermine in some evanescent, indecipherable way a woman's right to have an abortion. I don't need to explain that. We don't really need to point to any legal precedent that could possibly establish that. It is because I say so because I am someone in a robe who's very smart and woke and mm-hmm. understand what's best for the proles, and this should be the rule. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that they detest Thomas. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can't even imagine what Scalia would have oh. written about that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that is that is a perfect distillation of the current state of radicalism and extremism as it relates to the Democratic Party. And what you may say, why are you conflating Justice Ginsburg and Democratic Party? Because they're indistinguishable. Yeah. And in fact, she's made it very clear in her public comments that that's that's what she considers. Mm-hmm. Is this consistent with the Democratic Party platform? I'll find a way to justify it in one of my opinions. And by the way, she's a brilliant woman, but she's not engaging in constitutional analysis. No. She's engaging in a raw exercise of power because she deems herself some sort of philosopher king, queen, um, who knows best. And yeah. what she knows is that abortion must be protected at all costs, even when it comes to regulating how we can dispose of dead babies. Yes. So on another topic, um, I was reading a lot this week uh, from the 26 whatever Democratic presidential candidates speaking about equality, 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 equality. And what they mean by equality is not really what you think of as equality. They mean outcomes, outcomes, our version of equality, which is really not equality. It's slanted their direction. Which means it's inequality. Yes, correct. So my question is, in any society, ours included, can you ever actually have equality? And we'll speak it specifically from a socioeconomic status. Is it possible, even remotely, I mean, that's the, the goal of communism and socialism, is to have equality. But in real practice, outside of the Smurfs, I've never seen any equality in any society that fits the definition of what they're saying so my question is, is it possible, and if so, how? And I, I know there's no how because it's not possible, in my opinion. Well, of course. Yeah, that's a rhetorical question. In fact, just go read Harrison Bergeron. <laughs> you know Harrison Bergeron? You should read it. Okay. That's exactly – it's, that's a, it it's a short story. Okay. It's a, about this very issue. 
um, in the future. There's a handicapper general. I think her name is Diana Moon Glampers. The whole idea is that we're going to make everyone equal. And by doing that, all the beautiful and talented uh, and gifted people, they must be handicapped because they're more equal. They're better. <laughs> and we can't have that. And so they, they make them wear masks and, and weight them down because otherwise they're better. Of course not. And your point is, is well taken, which is, well, let's just survey historically that's what communism and socialism has attempted to do for hundreds. Claim to anyway. No, attempted to do for hundreds and hundreds of years, and we've had a number mm-hmm. of real live. We can watch them experiments unfolding in real time, including right now, hopefully Venezuela, mm-hmm. Cuba, China, Pick one. Soviet Union. Just keep go go down the list. Yeah, were those societies? Do they end up with equality? No, no. What they Never. actually what they end up with is not only immiseration. And poverty, but also depravity, violence, sometimes genocide, mm-hmm. political assassinations. That's what always happens. Because since you can't actually create utopia, equality in the world, well, you're going to have to force people <laughs> and the ones that don't want to go along with your project. Boom. You know what? That's <laughs> why That's why Stalin had to murder how many? 20 million? Something 30 like that. million? They lost count. I'm sure. And the answer is never. <laughs> guess what? This philosophy is not only unworkable, it's evil. It devolves mm-hmm. into evil because man is sinful. Mm-hmm. Human nature, if you try to enforce equality, is going to require any number of evil things to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll be justified. But the response of the true believers is never, you know what? We get it. It doesn't work. We tried it. No, no. It just hasn't been properly implemented Yet. Yes. And it, well, next time we'll do it right. Here's the thing. Equality requires, in the truest sense, requires everybody to be equal. But to implement a system, whether it's from your, your short story you're talking about or a socialist country or a communist country, somebody has to be in charge of somebody else. Therefore, they're not equal. It's not even re- from a simple process. Parent and a child. They're not equal. They can't be. One is the parent. One is the child. When they're younger, the parent has to take care of the child. When they're older, the child might have to take care of the parent. But they're not equal, and they never can be. Well, and by the way, one of the things that never gets mentioned, because it's just inconvenient and awkward, is that there has to be a certain um, subset, uh, a cast of people who are going to ensure the equality, which means by definition, they're (laughs) They're not not quite equal. This was Orwell's (laughs) point when he said in the barnyard, there are more equal pigs. Because (laughs) if everyone is equal, nobody can be in charge to enforce the equality that everyone desires. So some of those people, they're kind of accepted from the equality rule. Yes, exactly. And I, I like the quote from Churchill. Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. You know, you, you can you can rail against democracy. AOC can lash out about all the evils of our country. But guess what? It's not that. Now, I'm not doing a whatism or anything, but this is the best form of government man has come up with. And it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a whole lot better than all the other ones that have been tried. So keep that in mind when you're rooting for let, let me just uh, just to whet your appetite if you haven't actually read harrison bergeron it's it literally takes 10 minutes um just the the first couple sentences of harrison bergeron the year was 2081 and everybody was finally equal 
<laughs> they weren't only equal before God in the law. They were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All equality was due to the 211th, 212th, 213th Amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. So <laughs> that's the entire point of that essay. It's actually really good. I have to read that now. So our last major topic here is I wanted to give a perspective on Israel. And I think this is when you look at Israel, it's surrounded by enemies. We, we know that whether you like Israel or hate Israel, you're either the pro pro enemy or pro Israel, but they're surrounded by enemies on all sides. They've fought numerous wars. They've tried to make peace with their neighbors and it just hasn't worked out. It just, I like that. It just, it hasn't, just worked hasn't worked out, worked I, out and, yet. And we'll have to figure out why it hasn't worked well, out. We, we have a reason. So uh, the the West Bank, we, or I'm sorry, the Gaza Strip, you still hear about the Gaza Strip as occupied territory. False. It is not and hasn't been for decades. But it's still considered occupied territory because the rest of Israel still exists. If, it, if Israel didn't exist, then Gaza Strip wouldn't be considered occupied territory. Right. It's not occupied territory. Get that out of your mind first and foremost. From that occupied territory, uh, the Palestinian Authority has and uh, Hamas has been lobbing rockets into Israel. Is that wrong? Well, let's get to Is that. Is that conducive to the peace process? It doesn't work for the peace process, but the peace process isn't actually a peace process. So That's these, true. these rockets are being launched day and night, hour after hour, and they're not just being launched at military sites. They're launched <laughs> at schools, hospitals, daycares, residential communities. You name it. If they can reach it, they're trying to destroy it. Okay? They're cheering when these things go off. The, the, the Hamas. Well, not only that. And you, you could also mention, you remember the stabbing intifada. Well, yes. Right? Yes. The, I mean, Hamas has literally dug tunnels. Yes. Underneath Israel. Mm-hmm. So they can come up and essentially murder women and children and then go back. And they, they spent... All of the aid, the yes. international aid that's supposed to be going to the impoverished yes. Palestinian people, which, by the way, I sympathize with many of them because they are under the thumb of these terrorists. Although I don't sympathize all that much because many of, of them, them support them. Yeah. But nevertheless, they spent millions of dollars digging these hardened tunnels just so they could send terrorists over to stab, murder, maim, dismember, yeah. blow up yeah. innocent people. Yeah, don't don't forget the suicide bombers. These are these are the peace partners. Yes, these are the guys we're trying to make peace with. Wink, wink. So all this is happening, and it happens repeatedly. This isn't just a one-time thing. Anytime Israel looks like they're going to get some notoriety, there's a there's some Eurovision something coming up up in Israel. Basically, anytime Israel looks like they're going to get a leg up uh, in the world stage, Hamas decides we we can't have that. We we've got to destroy them. So. I want to, to replace uh, Hamas with Mexico and Israel with the United States. Now, just think about this for a second. I don't care who the president is. It could be spineless Obama, you know, milquetoast Carter. doesn't matter. If the Mexicans were launching rockets into Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, shooting up Schools digging tunnels underneath, blowing things <laughs> well, up. They actually are digging tunnels underneath well, but, for different but reasons. That's for different reasons. Yeah, but they're doing. If they were doing the exact same thing, a sovereign nation being attacked from the outside, what would the response of the United States be towards Mexico? Well, here's the thing. Ordinarily, 
if we, we were living in a sane world, that would be an easy question to answer. However, if you're saying what would the response be among many of the leading Democrats? I uh, don't know. Well, I don't know. What would be the U.S. response in the general? The U.S. response would be um, Moab. The, yes. <laughs> it would be Moab. And it would say, welcome to the 51st state. Because guess what? Mexico would cease to exist. Right. And by they the way, know if you it, don't we know, know what it. Moab is, that, that's the acronym for mother of all bombs. So, yeah, we wouldn't allow that to continue. So we're looking at Israel and we're saying, oh, no, you've got to restrain yourself. They're literally trying to kill you on a daily basis, killing your citizens. And the world community is saying, no, you can't respond. They're poor. You can't respond. Guess what? Name any other country with any other neighbor, they would not sit there and take it. But it's even, it here's the thing. It's even more perverse than that because not only are they engaged in constant aggression and suicide bombing and missile launching and murder tunnel digging, when Israel does respond like any sane nation who wants to still exist, what does Hamas and what does – what does the Palestinian oh, Authority do? Us. No, no. Oh, yeah. They intentionally place their own citizens <laughs> yes, in that. harm's way, meaning they install their batteries, their operations in hospitals mm -hmm. and in schools. Mm -hmm. in, and then they make people stay because one of the things that Israel does is they literally notify, they drop leaflets that say, we We're are coming. going to engage in a military <laughs> exercise here. Get out. And what does Hamas say? Don't get out. Yeah. Stay here. Because we want you to be killed by these incoming rockets or by the IDF. And guess what? We're going to use the credulous, craven Western press to publicize the fact that now Israel is committing war crimes. I guess we should add as sort of a standard caveat, Israel is not perfect. No. Israel has done things wrong. Sure. They should be subject to legitimate criticism. But <laughs> I've said this. Anyone who looks at this equation and wants to talk about some kind of moral equivalence between Israel, with all its faults, with the things it may have done wrong, and a literal terrorist organization, two terrorist organizations, who are dedicated by charter mm -hmm. to wiping Israel off the face of the map, and they're gonna, you're going to take the position either that I can't tell the difference between these two things, or <laughs> even worse... Actually, the people that are having the rockets launched at them, they're the evildoers. Yes. They're the ones that need to be restrained. They're the ones that should be sanctioned at the U.N. What are we up to? Our 10,000th U.N. resolution against Israel? Yeah. It's absurd. It's actually more than absurd. It's disgusting. Yes. So I hope that puts it in perspective for what you're hearing because no other country on the face of this planet would allow that to happen to their sovereign citizens nor without would they response. Be, nor would they be expected to. No. No. no one would ever adhere to that type. of. And here's the thing. If they don't do this, have you ever looked on a map at the size of Israel? It's tiny. It's really <laughs> tiny. And what is it surrounded by? Enemies. Enemies. <laughs> Everywhere but, but the Mediterranean. Who are sworn essentially to its destruction. Yes. yes. So to your point, whenever you hear someone use the term the peace process. There is no peace process because as Dennis Prager in the best formulation, one side wants the other side dead. Yes. If there would be peace tomorrow, if Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and all the other Arab nations who hate Israel and are dedicated to its destruction laid down their weapons and their suicide vests and said, we want to live in peace, they would have it. Mm -hmm. They would have it in a millisecond, mm -hmm. but they don't 
want it and no. they will never accept it. No. So just keep that in mind when you're hearing about how bad, bad Israel is and the, uh, you know, the vest of everything in the Congress. And it's, it's a joke. Right. It's, two, two quick non-political topics that I just thought of. One of them is uh, just something that I watched last night. Uh, I want to recommend it, and probably a lot of people do watch these. It's the ESPN 30 for 30 series. They're all very well done. But this one was on. Let's see if you know who this is. Janet Guthrie. Who was Janet Guthrie, Chad? Was Janet Guthrie the first woman to run in the Annapolis 500 in the 70s? That is correct. Boom! That is correct. She did not win it, though. (laughs) No, she did not win. But I will tell you, from watching this documentary, um, what an incredibly impressive woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things. I, I mean, I knew that about her, but you want to talk about, okay, this is what I would consider to be a, a woman who is a true feminist, meaning she wasn't about sloganeering. She, all she wanted to do from the time that she was a very young child, uh, actually, she didn't get involved in racing until she was in her mid-20s, but she was always a daredevil. She, her dad was a pilot. She was jumping out of planes at the time she was 16. She did it on her own with nothing. She built her – she was actually an engineer. Mm-hmm. She became an engineer. She became obsessed with road racing. She started building her own cars. She then raced in all of these – you know, um, it's the – I forget the acronym. Raced for 11 years on sort of these lower circuits, had tremendous success. And then she's expected – she gets handpicked because people recognize she was talented. Now remember, this is not now. This is not the right. Me Too generation. This is back – in the mid to late 70s, mm-hmm. she's going to run at Indianapolis. And believe mm-hmm. me, there were people, many, many, many people. Well, one of the comments was, I don't think she can run that many miles. She can't handle going five oh, miles. Oh, sure. She was too weak. She's not. But here's the other thing that amazed me about this, which I didn't know. She literally had no experience whatsoever racing in Indy cars. Mm-hmm. She gets a few runs and is expected to qualify for the Indianapolis 500, which mm-hmm. she did. Mm-hmm. She then subsequently drove, I think, 30, 34 races in the NASCAR circuit. Her first race, which was the 600-mile race. I forget which race it was. It Maybe it was Darlington. Um, again, she had never actually been in a stock car, <laughs> never driven one. Now, just think, nobody wants her there. Mm-hmm. The minute that she fails, she's done, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone's just, she's a stunt, get her out, she's dangerous. She proceeds to finish the entire race and finishes 15th. Mm-hmm. Incredibly talented woman. And she, she narrates a lot of this. And the thing that I loved about her was that she's incredibly matter-of-fact She's not about self-promotion. It was just, look, I simply wanted to be recognized. I wanted to race. Mm-hmm. I was good at it. I'm not going to let people demean me. I'm going to do my thing. I-, I just encourage you. It's called Qualified. Really good. And I actually now I'm going to read her autobiography, mm-hmm. which she wrote herself. Mm-hmm. Um, just just kind of an amazing story. And she's someone who literally w- had to persevere through legitimate and i'm not saying this doesn't exist now it still does but back then yes outright in your face discrimination (laughs) get back to the kitchen go have some kids you don't belong here and this lady with grace with with wit just plowed through the sad thing was despite what she did she eventually had to stop racing because nobody would sponsor her yeah that's the sad part of nascar had she existed now She'd be a national – she was already well-known. She'd be Danica Patrick times 10. Yeah, well, she was better than Danica Patrick. Oh, much, much better. But, but much did, better. Didn't she end up in that Indy 500? She was finished ahead of Mary Andretti? 
I don't know. I she finished in the second one that she ran. She finished, or maybe the third one. She ran in three. She finished ninth. Yes, ninth in the entire field at the yes. Indianapolis Five Hundred. Most men don't finish that high. On equipment <laughs> that was good, but she was not racing no. the same kind of stuff. No. Well, she doesn't have the sponsorship. She don't have the money to, to put into the equipment. Now, it wasn't as advanced back then, but it was still expensive. Yeah. Still um, so that was, that was the one thing. The other thing that uh, we should mention real quickly, because one of our friends had said is, even though I know you're not a basketball guy, we are, we are beginning the NBA Finals. It is the Toronto Raptors <laughs> against the Golden State Warriors. Do you, are you even following the NBA playoffs? Uh, yes, but... Uh, who first of all are the Warriors going to win? Yes, I believe you're correct. <laughs> Is it going to be a competitive series? No, I'm torn on well, that. Well, define competitive. I mean, is it going to go more than five games? No. <laughs> I sadly, sadly, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I, I just Kawhi Leonard right now. Is, is the best player in basketball. And he actually has been mm -hmm. throughout the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The problem is, I just don't trust the he rest for of Toronto. the Raptors. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, well, you know, the Raptors have a lot of interesting parts. They've got this Siakam guy. Mm -hmm. They've got Kyle, Kyle Lowry, who historically has been either abysmally bad. He's playing very well in the playoffs this year. But I just don't see that crew. In other words, all of those guys are going to have to play out of their minds Yes. In order, because Leonard cannot do it by himself. No. He needs two other guys, right? The Warriors have Steph. They got Clay Thompson. They got Draymond Green. Clay Thompson have, hasn't been Clay Thompson well, of late. But, okay. but here's the thing about Clay Thompson. They don't even need Clay. Here's what Clay Thompson always does. Number one, he's a great defensive player. He doesn't mm -hmm. get enough credit for that. Mm -hmm. He runs unrelentingly and inevitably in a game when Steph is off or whatever, then he winds up, he makes eight threes. Yeah. So you you have to occupy him. One of your best defenders still has to be on him. They just have too many weapons. This is them playing without Durant. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people are saying they actually are playing better without Durant because they're back to the beautiful game. and the mm -hmm. way. They, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather have Kevin Durant on the court than not on the court. I'm sure Steve Kerr would agree with that. Oh, yes. Since, I don't know, the guy was averaging 34 points a game. He's the best scorer in the league. That's like somebody saying, I really don't want Michael Jordan on my team because I feel we, we all – well, be better when he's, he's not exactly watching. Michael Jordan, but he's no. clearly one of the top three players in the league, and he's the best. He's the most gifted. I understand that James Harden led the league in scoring, but in terms of one guy to get you a basket when you need it, there's nobody like Kevin Durant. He's mm -hmm. 6'11". He can handle the ball. He can pull up from three. Nobody can block his shot. He has a mid-range game. He can post you up. He's basically unstoppable. So to say that they're better without that guy in the lineup is kind of... Well, it's foolish because <laughs> it's not true. Because it's not true. Um, can the if he doesn't come back because it's not clear. I don't think he's going to play game one, which is tonight. Um, right. Can they win? Can the can the Raptors win if KD doesn't play at all in the series? Or are they still going to be beaten in five games or less? They're still going to be beaten five games, and I don't think they get game one. I think they're going to get one game at home. I don't think they're going to the get game, game one either because, number one, it's going to be the jitters. It's the first time the Warriors have been there, done that. Mm -hmm. The key game to determine whether this will be a competitive series or not is game two. They're going to be down 1-0. They have to win that game at home. They have home court advantage. If they lose that game, they're going to get swept. Okay, If they lose the first two games, the series is over. Uh, yeah. If they win game two... It's still 2-3-2, two, two, right? That's a, there's a possibility... 
No, it's not two three two anymore. Oh, it's a two two. They've gone one, back one. to the two two one one one, which is better. Right. That's the better. That's the classic. Except for the travel time, I don't yeah. like the travel time. So if they, I think if the Raptors win Game Two, they're going to lose both games in Golden State. They have a chance to extend the series to six, meaning they could win Game Five at home, and then they're going to get they're going to get put out in Game Six. But I just I can't envision it going going farther than that. I, anything is possible, but I agree with you. This is a team with the addition of Kawhi Leonard. Who got knocked out early last year and the year before? They had Coach of the Year and got knocked out. Well, this is—I mean, this is the first year with Kawhi. I, I understand. He's the addition, right? The rest of the turds are still there. Great regular season record, but couldn't do squat in the playoffs. Kawhi Leonard has made a difference. Well, there. the argument—no question. The argument of the uh, the Raptor faithful is now going to be that Kawhi—they've—they've they've reversed the curse. Essentially, oh, okay. they were. Because they were perpetual mm-hmm. underachievers in the playoffs to the mm-hmm. point where it almost became uh, comical. Yeah, like there yeah. goes the Raptors flaming well, out again. When you say the the Raptor faithful, outside of Drake, who are the Raptor <laughs> faithful? All, all of Canada. Yeah. Okay. All of gotcha. Gotcha. He's um, speaking for all of them. I do think that in some ways, look, basketball it matters. There's five guys on the floor. When you have the best player on the floor, no question, that matters. Particularly since he's the best two way player in the league. Meaning, not only is a great offensive player, but he can shut people down defensively. It's just the Warriors just have too many answers. You can't. That's the problem. The like I said, the only way I envision this being competitive is if Kyle Lowry and is it Pascal Siakam? I think that's his I name. Don't know. Um, if they both play out of their minds, those are the that's like his two amigos. Um, they're very up and down. Lowry deserves credit because he's been playing more consistently in this postseason. But unless both of those guys have literally career series, I just don't see how they hang. So, do you compare the the Raptors this year to the uh, Cleveland Lebrons last year? Um, it was really no, just LeBron? you know, no. Well, you mean the team? Are you talking about the LeBron team that beat the Warriors? In no, the finals? I'm talking about last year's LeBron, Cleveland LeBrons, who basically got to the finals, but really didn't put much of a fight. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It is kind of similar. Um, you know, the one thing about one really good player, and then some people who when, also when the LeBron ball. when the LeBrons beat the Warriors. Yeah, that's different. Well. Yeah, Kyrie Irving too. That, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Is that they yeah. basically had two guys, mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving, arguably certainly in that postseason, one of the top five. Not since, but then. Well, no, he's a great player. I mean, in other words, he's a guy that he he hit the game winning shot. He can score forty points. He's another guy at a level that you could. You've got now two guys that are as good as anybody on the floor for the Warriors, and in LeBron, is Ky- better. Is Kyrie a number two? Because he hasn't shown he's a number one. Oh, he's absolutely a number two. He, okay. he he's learning very quickly in Boston. Okay. Has learned because uh, they were better without it's Kyrie the same thing, last year. It's the same lesson that Scottie Pippen learned when Jordan retired for two years to play baseball. Yeah. It seems a lot easier the idea that you can be the lead dog, but you can't. Yeah, you're perfect in your role as take as, your spot. And I think Kyrie has learned in Boston again, a great individual player, but you're not a guy that's going to lead a team. You're yeah. the perfect sort of even you want to call him one A. Yeah. Because in terms of skill set, he's one of, when he's playing well, he's one of the top 10 guys in the league. Mm-hmm. And importantly for the playoffs, he's even more valuable because he can isolate and get his own offense anytime he wants. And that's at a premium in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But my prediction is Warriors in five. I, I agree with that prediction. I, and I think uh... – you think Kawhi stays in Toronto? The, I, you know what? I don't really know enough about. First of all, Kawhi is like the Sphinx. You don't know what the guy is thinking. Um, <laughs> here, here's the 
to me, what he needs to think about, everyone seems to suggest that he's gone, that he's going to the Clippers or whatever, going west, right, west coast. But here's the thing that he, I would be thinking about if I'm Kawhi. The West is still ridiculously loaded. Wouldn't you want to basically pull a LeBron? You right now, now obviously you have Giannis and the Bucks. They're not going anywhere. But you've got a chance to dominate the Eastern Conference. Okay, the Sixers are also good. There's some talent there. But I would still make the argument your path to the finals, if your goal is championships, is better in the East. It's sure. still better. Sure. You're going to have to beat the Bucks and the Sixers. Okay, at least for the foreseeable future. Those are the two, and I guess the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics are right there, but they had a very bizarre season. I don't know what's going to happen with them. Who they might trade? Are they in the KD sweepstakes? I don't think so because Kawhi's. Le- I mean, uh, Kyrie's leaving. But that's the issue. Is so you're going to go out west. You're going to join the Clippers, and now you got to beat the Warriors, and you got to beat the Rockets, and you got to beat the Blazers, and you got to beat the Spurs. Ah, uh, I think I'm thinking the East is better. You just made it to the finals. Exactly. I think Kawhi goes to Boston. No, I don't see that happening. Why go west? He's already been in the west. Why go west? I don't. Th- I don't think he wants to go to Boston. But who knows what he's going to do? He he may wind up you staying. Don't, nobody knows. He what may. He, wants he to may. Do. The conventional wisdom that he's absolutely out the door may prove to be completely wrong, and he may stay in Toronto. He gets a contract that's paid in American dollars, not Canadian <laughs> dollars. The, the float is better this direction at this time. Hockey, care. I I really don't. Okay. If you want to talk about the uh, Edmonton Oilers circa 1985, <laughs> I'd be, or Wayne Gretzky, or the New York Oilers. Islanders. Oh, geez. Okay, even earlier, Mike Bossy. You know, uh, yeah, no, no, I don't think so. It, it's the it's St. the Bruins, Louis Blues yeah, and the Bruins, right? And, and the Bruins did have a, a somewhat yeah, a pretty impressive comeback. And I hate Boston, so you know, I, I've I've just shut out our our Boston just Boston. keeps winning. I don't like that. They've gone from the like lovable it. losers yeah, to like they that. win everything now. I don't like I don't like Boston. I don't like New York City. Those are the two places I don't ever want to win anything ever. Well, right now, then, you should be pleased with the state of New York City sports because well, they're it's a abysmal. dumpster fire. They're abysmal. Yeah. Football. The Knicks are a laughing stock. I read the other day that, that, that somebody's saying the Jets should trade Le'Veon Bell. You know, he's played zero downs for them already. <laughs> <laughs> they should trade him because Adam Gase didn't really want him. And he's not showing up for OTAs, so you should trade him. Well, like. What I want to know is what are the Knicks going to do if – because apparently, you know, everyone thinks Kyrie and KD have made their little pact that they're coming to New York. Why? Exactly. Why exactly. would you go to the Knicks? Why? There's, it, the Knicks are L.A. without the sunshine, and I don't see the upside to that. L.A. has they're more They're not upside. even L.A. <clears throat> I mean, look, what the Knicks championship history stopped – back with the Walt, Walt Frazier era. <laughs> yeah. So they're not even L.A. because L.A. has actually won championships with Kobe and Shaq. Um, yeah, they're, you know, the Knicks. Here's the only thing. I will say one thing about the Knicks, and this doesn't exist anymore because they've been so terrible for so long. Oh, what do you mean? But there is nothing like when the Knicks were good playing a meaningful game at Madison Square Garden. There is something about that arena with that crowd that just the sound – just the atmosphere Just is the not Spike Lee. No, it's not, it's not Spike Lee. It's you. You can't duplicate it. I remember all the wars that the Bulls had mm-hmm. with the Riley Knicks in that arena. Ah, or, that's the clue. The Riley Knicks. Sure, back when the Knicks were good, <laughs> and. Why, now, part of it was that, that Jordan kind of like just ratcheted sure. the everything, right? The intensity, because he's the greatest player ever. But 
playing in that arena in a meaningful game when the crowd is amped and the Knicks are good, I don't think there's another venue that can match that atmosphere. But the Knicks are so far removed from that. I think they still delude themselves into thinking, well, we're a... You know, we're a destination franchise. Well, mm-hmm. only only because it's New York City. Yeah. I mean, if someone has business interests or you want to be in New York, but in terms of the fran- in terms of the franchise, it's yeah. it's a disaster zone. Well, you play in the Garden, and, that, and and maybe there's some kid has a dream. I've always wanted to play in the Garden. I, I guess you're not going to Brooklyn because you don't care about playing in Brooklyn. I, I don't know why you go to New York. I, I, there's no reason to if you want to win, if you want a big payday. Maybe go to New York because they probably have the cap. One final way. basketball comment. I read an interesting article by a guy named, I think his name's Roger Sherman, who writes for The Ringer, which is Bill Singer. Roger Sherman. Did yeah. he sign the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> sure. Anyway. But he wrote, it was about KD, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And his point was, and I think it was a very interesting and insightful piece, which is essentially that Kevin Durant has basically come to the Warriors, done everything right, won two championships, and yet there's really no... Like, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And almost people are apathetic and actually don't like him. Mm-hmm. And We got it, mean. Well, He got huh? meaner when he well, left Well, he's got City. rabbit ears. But, here, but here's the interesting thing. The point of the article is essentially that it's almost like he got too much, right? Mm-hmm. You came to this team with an embarrassment of riches. You made them better. And it was kind of like, you know, it's an odd reaction to this guy because he's done everything that he was supposed to do. And he can't sort of be loved. But the one thing he didn't mention, the reason... The reason that KD is not loved has nothing to do really with the fact that, yes, it's Steph Curry's team. It's It still goes back to he's being punished, and he should be punished. Because when you are the lead dog or the co-lead dog on a team that has just taken the Warriors to seven games, you were leading 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals, you blew that series, but essentially you're right there. You were as good, if not better, then the super team and you're the star and your decision after that gut-wrenching defeat when you are on the cusp of the finals is, I guess I'm just going to go join the Borg. You're never going to recover from that. I don't care. People can give all of the, you know, listen, the man has a right to his, absolutely. He can decide that. Don't begrudge it to him. But you can't tell me that everyone that looks at that decision is saying, no, does Jordan do that? Not No, does Bird, does Barkley, nobody, this isn't LeBron in Cleveland, mm-hmm. okay, where he's toiling with this downtrodden franchise. It's clear they're not going to get over the hump. And so he goes to Miami and that ridiculous, you know, the decision. <laughs> Kevin Durant was on the verge of beating those guys with the crew that he had, mm-hmm. and he bails after a horrendous collapse. You just don't, you don't recover from that. So now that he's on a team, yeah, so now you're the, you know, you're the fifth Hall of Famer that they've got or whatever. So what? Yeah. So what? You're not going to get credit for being finals MVP and leading the league in scoring and then winning again. And that's kind of what he's experiencing now, which is, you know, people now saying, ah, the Warriors are, you know, they're better off without him. No, they're not better off without him, but you should have stayed where you were. Okay, but he had to play with Russell Westbrook. And maybe he just didn't get along with Russell Westbrook and he had to go, I got to go somewhere else. I get it. I get that. And I get the argument that says. I'm not saying you're wrong. but And I agree that Russell Westbrook is demonstrating that he's also a guy that can't really lead a team because Mm -hmm. of the way he plays. Mm -hmm. But in that moment when you're that close to just flee, it's like, I just. 
well, that's maybe, a mind-boggling decision to me. You're looking at it, and and I would as well. But you're looking at it saying, "This is my team," okay? And in the days before free agency, maybe it was. No, and this I get was it. my it's team. It's a business. I'm not even saying that. It has nothing to do with loyalty. Okay. To me, it has to do with competitive. A competitive desire. It's not as if they showed up, the Warriors blasted them 4 0, were not on the same level. But maybe I, he wanted to win. He didn't think he was ever going to. I that, can't play with this guy. But that's my point. I want to win. You want to win. You were winning the series three games to one, and okay. you should have won. You were good enough to win. You were capable of winning. Maybe, and- but you lost. So you weren't capable of winning. You lost. Barkley goes to Houston. How is it satisfying? Mm-hmm. How is it satisfying to a competitor after you you lose this incredibly hard fought? It's almost like saying, you know, um, I, I'm trying to think of like a football analogy where you you've lost to the Patriots in uh you know you had a three touchdown lead or you blew it. The Patriots beat you in the AFC Championship, but you're right there and it's like you know what I'm going to go join the Patriots. Oh, that happened, James Harrison. Well, he, he worked but his James way Harrison, out. But okay, but he's he's at the end of his career. Well, it's fine. But he, in a betrayal sense, he left. He forced his way out of the Steelers to go play for the Patriots. Plays them in that final game, beats them, and goes to the Super Bowl. And Thankfully, he lost. And the analogy, I'm happy about that. Now, the analogy doesn't work for football either because the only equivalent player in terms of importance, remember, basketball is a five guys. Sure. Kevin Durant is literally one of the two or three best players in the entire yes. league. So it would have to be like some other quarterback. You know, Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers to go sit behind Tom Brady, and that doesn't work. Cause he Can we use Adam Vinatieri? No. A kicker? But he, he was iconically with the Patriots, no. goes to the team the Patriots were beating up on, and helps them win the Super Bowl, the Colts. It's well, first of all, Vinatieri, they jettisoned him. They got rid of him or they he left on free agency? I thought well, he, he left on free agency. Right, because probably because they, he was, they weren't going to pay him. Maybe. Maybe. No, I, you, can't, you can't compare a kicker. My only point is that I can guarantee you anyone from the, the era, the, you know, the, what I consider to be the best era of the NBA, any of these guys, these Hall of Famers, that, that just doesn't cross Barkley your mind. Barkley went to Houston to win a championship. He didn't, but he tried to. He left the Phoenix Suns to go to Houston to win a championship. Again, at the end of his career. Still trying to use a cha- win a he's championship. Not, right, but that's the difference. Is KD is in his prime. Okay. He's not 34 years old like Carl Malone. But why wait? Why wait to say, if I can, if I can go to the team that's going to help me win a championship now, two, probably three after this year, why would I wait until the end of my career to try then? Because I can't work with this guy. How do you know that? You don't know that, but I we've lost. Yeah, we were up 3-1, but we lost, and I can't work with Westbrook. I cannot work with this guess, guy anymore. I guess the point I'm is out of here. it's a premature decision, and I understand if there's personal friction. But here's the other thing. If you look at Katie's seeming motivation, mm-hmm. he's now irritated. Okay, That's his that, problem. That he, yeah. No, but the point is, is he's motivated by the idea, I want to be respected. I want to be the lead guy. You just made a decision you will never receive that kind of respect for that move. Because okay. now he's now he wants to leave because, well, all right, we've won, and nobody really seems to like me that much, and I'm not getting all the accolades I deserve. I want to go build another team. You could have done that in Oklahoma City, dude. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he could have done that, and maybe he couldn't have. Maybe he'd have toiled there for another 10 years, 
and they win, they win the championship. Well, that's true, but that's isn't that the nature of being a competitor? Again, it's not a situation where you've you've attempted, you've run up the hill. It's you know Sisyphus, the boulder keeps crushing you. You keep pushing it up. Yeah, they had they were right there. They're both young. They're not even in their primes. And he says, "I'm bailing. I'm out of here." See, I, we lost. We were up three one. We lost. I'm not trying anymore. I I I look at it from my aging perspective, which is. And it's it's a selfish thought process, but I'm looking out for me. The only person looking out for me is me. So KD's going, the only person looking out for KD is me. I don't care what the haters going to – they're going to hate whatever they want to hate. They're going to say I'm joining a bandwagon. I'm getting the – now, if the Golden State hadn't won a championship before he joined them, would you think he'd still get the same amount of hate? No, absolutely not. So they had one championship when he beat – when he joined them. They didn't have any – well, one recently. They had one in seven. Yes. One recently, but, so he he gave them two more, possibly three. Maybe they they had already lost, they lost to Cleveland that year, so he didn't go to a championship team, but he went to a loaded team. Right, they I, were very clearly. I mean, they had already won. Correct, they, they were, were defending and win. hoping, but they they, didn't. Were, they had won seventy three games. Yes, and it was prior, a great team. It was a great right. team. So they were clearly the ascendant team. In but the it, if you're looking out for you, I want to get the most money. I want to get the most championships because that's why you play. I don't care what anybody says. Wait, which I play is to play. Which is it? Both. Well, you can't have both all you, the time. Well, you can't always have both. So but, you, if you're going to say, I want to make the most money and the most championships, my, is which one? Well, which do you want? So he got the championships. Now he can go get the money. And maybe he can get a championship. But, maybe see, he can't, but he the get thing. the money. It doesn't strike you that's what's motivating him. And the irony is he's got the championships. I think his career would be more appreciated. And he seems to care about his legacy like all these guys who are the sure. great players. If he had won a single title in Oklahoma City, as opposed to being a mercenary who already joins, you know, the the empire, and so great, now you, now you've got three. But you know what? No one really cares. Why does everybody go to the Patriots? Do they go to the Patriots because they just want to play, or do they go to the Patriots because I think I have a really good shot of winning a championship? But there's no comparison because the people that are going to the Patriots are not one of the three or four best players in the NFL. Granted, and, and that's not going to happen. That does those those people don't change teams. The the top right. five players Football in the NFL don't change teams. It doesn't work that way. So you can't do this thing. But people join. I want to win. I've made my money. I want to win. Or I want to win, and then I'll make my money because I've won. I mean, think about that. I'm a three time NBA champion. Does that mean I can get a better salary from the Knicks? Probably. Than if I wasn't. Just, it's sort of like it would be the difference between LeBron saying after he continually fails to beat the Celtics in Cleveland, the current iteration of the Celtics, you know, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, instead of going to Miami and building his super team, he just joins the Celtics. Well, okay. And so now it's Garnett, LeBron, Paul Pierce. Like, do you think that that would have affected how people view him? Sure. Yeah, I would say so. He effectively did the same thing in Miami. He just did it with different people. Right. He didn't didn't join the enemy, but he didn't really join... A friend, he just brought all his friends to I the same agree, place. and that's why some people have a problem with that. But I sure. have less of a problem because at a minimum, that at least was a team you had to demonstrate that was going to work, right? Okay. It was not already a championship team. Yes, they won one with Dwayne Wade. I get that. But that was a while ago. So, again, tell me, that, tell me how LeBron would have been viewed if he leaves. They, they lose in a cruel six- or seven-game series yet again to the Celtics. He says, I'm out of here. I'm taking my talents to Boston. He would have been crucified. 
He was crucified going to Miami. He would have been <laughs> more crucified. So here's the question. Do you think the NBA is competitive top to bottom? No. Do you think there's maybe a half a dozen teams tops who have any legitimate yes. shot of there, winning there, the championship? There are literally like five or six teams that can Okay. Win. So if we had a living, breathing commissioner, I'll use Tony Kornheiser's words, living, breathing commissioner in the NBA and a, a, a ownership who said, hey, you know what? We're not going to allow super teams. If you draft them, great. But you're not going to get be able to stockpile free agents just because because you're whatever. Let's have some parity. Hate it or love it, the NFL has a lot more parity. And I don't love it all the time, but I understand it from a business standpoint. So you said you can't have both. You can't have super teams, but you can have a competitive league. Which do you want? You can have super teams where basically the the – the regular season does not matter. Does not matter. The playoffs the only thing that matters in the NBA. We know that well, I it's think, reality. I mean, I think what would help the NBA, and I know they're toying with this, is is to basically reseed the playoffs. So the, the, the whole conference dynamic makes it ridiculous. Sure. I mean, it actually was a little bit better this season and even the past season because – you now have some up-and-coming teams with the Sixers after the process, right? So, But before that, when LeBron was going to, however, what, seven consecutive, eight consecutive finals, it was a wasteland. Yeah. The East was pathetic. Well, are we sure it's better yet? It was more competitive in conference, but is it a better conference than it was? Uh, yeah, I think clearly the, the top four teams in the East this year, Boston, Philadelphia, obviously um, Toronto, and Milwaukee – they're as good as the top Eastern teams have been for a long time. But are they, where do they fall in well, the West? I don't care. I mean, where they fall in the West, I don't know. But they're certainly at least competitive with some of those top teams. Previous years, you you could literally not have seeded anyone in the East other than Cleveland in the top eight. Like, yeah. the, the West would have been every top seed except for Cleveland. And Cleveland would have probably been four, five. Yeah. yeah. Right? And well, so that I'm, a, I'm in favor of at least trying that reseeding. And I think they should do it in every sport. I don't think there should be conference. Well, let's get the best two teams. The bigger issue, and they've talked about this, is it's the travel. It's the logistics of when you do that, of trying to figure it out. But I agree with you. I don't care about the travel. That's your problem. You figure it out yourself. You can pay for 82 games plus playoffs. I mean, my bigger issue, we've talked about this in the NFL, and we've gone way too long, but um, (laughs) is the whole idea of when you've got these, these basically division winners who they're seven and nine or they're eight and eight, and they're getting seated and getting a bye. Over mm-hmm. okay, this just happened to the Chargers, right? Mm-hmm. The Chargers are twelve and four. They go in because they didn't win their division because they're in a division with the Chiefs. They go in as a five seed. Mm-hmm. Like no, 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 no. This should simply. I don't care whether you won your crappy division. Well, see, and the logistics don't work in the NFL because you right. can have somebody on the West Coast playing somebody on the East Coast in the first round. That, that, that means you, nothing. You should not be giving the benefit of home field advantage to a division to, winner to a division just because they won some lousy division. So reseed based on Absolutely. It should be just based on record. So in that case, some division winners wouldn't be in the playoffs. I'm fine. And I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that, so too. So you might as well get rid of divisions, right? But there's a happy medium. You could just say, no, they get in the playoffs, but they're going to be the lowest seed. Yeah. And they're going to have to go on the road. They're going to have to win three consecutive games to get to the Super Bowl. So you get your four division winners. You get two wild cards. And the wild cards could be higher than and host a, a playoff game. I'm okay with that. I, I, NBA, NHL, football. NFL, great. I love it. Let's do it. Let's Excellent. make it happen. Boy, we, we went really long. We went really okay. off the rails there. But, yeah, uh, we had stuff to talk about. That's right. okay. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Good night.
Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.